0: Talk about today, and then we'll we'll dive in and pray. You can, if you want to get ahead of me, because you're that way. I'm going to be in a couple different passages. You, I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter five, just a couple of verses, and then flip over to Acts chapter six. Um, two weeks ago, Rich Stevenson, one of my best friends, kind of a, serves as a pastor to my family, and as a I, I would call him a bishop, kind of like a bishop in this church. Uh, spoke a message here that was a very powerful message did how many of you heard that message either in person or gone and listened to it if you haven't heard it you should you should go to our website and find it and listen to it It, i think it was titled a right response talking about the man at the beautiful gate who's healed and and talking about the fullness of our response before the lord not just leaping and and dancing and celebrating god but also opening ourselves up through repentance to the streams of refreshing that come from god and giving our full lives to him he ended that message with uh with a, with a discussion around Revelation 3 and Francis Chan's spoken word about lukewarm and loving it. And he, he said that in a church that he served as a student pastor, Rich, when he was just, I think, a teenager and in college, that he actually passed out cards to his church and sat with a line. And one said cold, one said hot, and asked people to put an X where they were, and every person in the church put an X right in the middle. So in other words, he was able to see clearly and he put it up on a board in front of him that our church is lukewarm. And he asked the question, where would you put the X? And I, I think that's a provocative question for us to ask today, even going into it, because I'll tell you, there's really only one place for that X to be. It's on, the, it's on the flaming hot side. That's normal Christianity, to have a flaming hot relationship with Jesus. Anything less than that is not normal Christianity. And so that was his message. Last week, I spoke a message about really about looking at the deeper things of the Spirit through, you know, Paul, the life of Paul coming from Athens to Corinth, and, and, and saying that he didn 't come with wise and persuasive words, which had been marked his ministry, but he came with a, a one message, a message of Jesus on the cross, and a demonstration of the power of the Spirit, which I think came through signs and wonders and the spiritual gifts and through the testimony of you know of people coming going from a hellbound life to a heaven bound life all of that happening and We talked last week about a need for us to go into a deeper life, and so this week, I want to kind of pick up where I left off and look into. Uh, the fullness of the spirit i to I want to really look at what it means for us to be full and there 's no way in the next thirty five minutes or whatever it 'll be that i 'll be able to give you an absolute full doctrinal dissertation of what you know what that means because it means so much. The Bible talks about the fullness of the spirit with so much different language from genesis to revelation there 's language throughout that talks about what it looks like for us to be in this sort of full relationship with god there there are deep you know Big theological words like sanctified or sanctification there's words like maturity there's words like fullness being you know filled there's words like you know um, coming under the power of god there, there's there are examples of people who are momentarily filled and there's p- examples of people whose lives seem to be given in fullness you know for the, for the rest of time and so it's a it's a deep subject you could really Probably meditate on this for three or four years, just going through the, the Bible to say, what are the pictures, the, the, the multiple language that God gives us? And when God gives us multiple language like this around issues, it's because he wants to cast a wide net. If you don't get it in one way, he'll make sure you get it in another. And so we're going to talk about it in a couple different ways this morning. I'm going to start. Um, really, we're going to get to a point of, of, of looking at a character within the Bible because I believe that we best understand doctrine through, through personality and I want to look at one of my favorite personalities in the New Testament. It's a man we know very little about. We see very little of. But his name's Stephen. And uh, he's a man whose life could be absolutely, I think, appropriately described as, a, as being full of God. Stephen was full of God. And in summary, we just want to examine that short life of Stephen and, and see what matters about his life. And, and my question to you at the front end of this message is just to simply ask you, does your face shine? with the light of the glory of God? Does your face shine with the light of the glory of God? What's on your face? You know, if you were to look into the mirror with a spiritual lens, with, re- with a real honest look and say, what, what, what is the reflection of my face? That's kind of where I want to kind of land. But I want to start with, with, a, with unpacking this, even this concept of fullness. And what does the Bible mean when it talks about it? I don't know that I can give you a definitive, singular definition of what the Bible means, but I can at least give you a good one uh, maybe looking to the Apostle Paul, because we need to understand fullness, you know. But I can tell you in the three great works of the Spirit, before you understand the fullness of the Spirit and what it means to live a life that's full of the Spirit, uh, we need to understand a couple of other things. Let me pray, and then, we'll, and then I'll, and I'll begin to unpack that. So, Jesus, would you infuse this message with your life? Would you rain down from heaven in fullness so that uh, whatever I have to say... And the next few moments does come, as, as, as Pastor Kevin prayed, from an eternal perspective and not from an earthly perspective. We want you to reign over our lives. And so we give you our hearts. We, we trust you in this moment. We, we, by faith, proclaim that you are the primary messenger who has something to say today. Lord, get me out of the way. Help me to decrease that you might increase. In Jesus' name, amen. So before, you know, just in summary, before you can understand something like the fullness of the Spirit, you need to understand that there are two preceding works. I don't know that they always happen sequentially, one, two, three, in nice, neat order, but they definitely do follow. There's a protocol. And and the first work of the Spirit that comes into the life of a person is what's being called born, what's called being born of the Spirit, or being born again. You know, in other words... If you walk around feeling frustrated that you don't have this powerful life in God but you're walking around living an unrepentant sin and you expect to experience the fullness of God, you're fooling yourself. If you're walking around in this life where you know you're distant from God, oftentimes when people say to me, I just want to be at the center of God's will, what I start with is I say, well, let's talk about the ways you're not. Let's be open and honest. What ways do you know you're not? living in God's will. And they go, well, I know that there's these couple of ways, but they're not big. I said, no, we're not going anywhere until we, we, so we have to start with making sure that we are, that we have in fact been born into a relationship with God as Jesus talks about in John 3 with Nicodemus. You know, a man has to be born twice. You're born once of your mother and you're born once of the spirit. And that birthday that I had on August 10th, 1964 is, is, a, is a big day, but it's not nearly as important to my life as the day which I, when I was born into the kingdom because that birthday when I'm born into the kingdom has no death, right? I'm going to die in this world someday. Probably, it's getting, you know, definitely getting closer. From the day you're born, you draw closer to the day of your death, your physical death on earth, right? Right. But when I'm born into, this, into the kingdom by the Spirit of God, my, there's, no, there's no expiration date on that life. And so the starting place is we have to be born of the Spirit. You have to acknowledge Maranatha, that Jesus has come, he lived, he died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin. And you have to accept that work that he's done for you, acknowledge your sin before him, and and, and trust him with your life. That is being born of the Spirit. The second work that he does is what's called in Ephesians 1, the sealing of the Spirit. Where he, where he puts a deposit of the Holy Spirit into us and seals us, where he basically marks us. It, it, to me, it's an issue of identity, where you come to understand in a deep way you're God's property. You're not your own, that you've been purchased, and, that, and your body doesn't belong to you. I mean that physically. I mean, as a church, we don't, we don't have, at the end of the day, we don't really have rights before God, right? You know, it's, it's, he has the right. He's, he's, he, 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 he's responsible for us, and he owns us. And so he sealed us. He's marked us so that anyone who will ever know. The powers and principalities, this world will know. And our lives should reflect our ownership. Okay? So once you get there, you then come to, to Ephesians 5, where Paul says very simply but very famously in, in, in verse 18, there's a whole lot around the context that surrounds it, but he says it this way. And, and there's really important language as to why he says it this way, I believe. He says and don't get drunk with wine or don't get filled with wine, for that's debauchery. Now, for those of you who come from a tradition that believes the fact that uh, the teetotaling is the only way to honor God, you, you, you might resonate with this and go, that means you should never drink. I don't personally believe that, just to be clear. I don't believe that, that, that a Christian could never drink a glass of wine or something like that. What the, I believe, well, and here's reasons why. I believe Paul drank wine. I believe he instructed Timothy to drink wine. Do You know what Jesus' first miracle was? How much? 180 gallons. He made 180 gallons of the finest wine so that the party wouldn't end. Now, what this passage says is, don't get drunk, which leads to debauchery. How many of you have ever gotten drunk? How many of you are willing to be honest? Let's try it again. Okay, Lord, we pray for spirit of honesty to fall <laughs> over this place. How many of you have ever gotten drunk? I know you kid. Put your hands up. Okay, now, here's my question to you, drunkards. When you're inebriated, when you're inebriated, what do the police call if they pull you over? DUI, which stands for? You're under the influence, right? So here's the question. Who or what is controlling you when you're drunk? The alcohol. You ever seen anybody make decisions or do things under the influence that you go, I know that's not them. Any of y'all have pictures or video of yourselves or others that are doing really stupid things? Any of you ever wake up in another city under another name and you... <laughs> <laughs> How did I get here? Why are they calling me Paco? I'm not trying to glorify any of that. I'm just saying... I want you to be, I want to be clear that we're all on the same page, that we know what it looks like when we are being, when we're operating under the control or the influence of something outside of us, right? And Paul uses this example because he knows it's clear. It's one that would be, it's as old as time, that people, when you begin to put too much of something into yourself or you put a, a critical mass of something into yourself, it begins to change your nature, Right? If you drink enough of this stuff day in and day out and day in and day out, it begins to have a very negative impact on your, on your brain and on your life. Correct? Yeah. So, you got the point. So, Paul says, don't do that, but instead be filled or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is what that looks like. He says, when the Spirit fills you, it kind of sort of looks like people might even think you're drunk on wine. It's happened... A lot in the, in the life of the church, and, and Peter says, "Well, yeah, they're drunk, but not the way you think they are." And, and Paul says, "You know, you begin to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs." I know, I know that a lot of times through revival history, the, the revival songs were songs from the bar. You know, there's a sense of kind of like, you know, a, 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 a spiritual celebration. And he says, "We'll sing, so, or we'll do address each other with." psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ there's a a lot that I could say there I just want to illustrate this for you though okay because I want to get on the same page I don't know if I can do this by myself or if I'm going to need help this is when you need a wireless mic but let's just kind of see if we can't make a picture here so Everybody see this? I feel like I'm a magician. I'm about to do something. (laughs) So I don't care how bright an outlook you have on the world. Can you see that this is empty? Okay. So uh (laughs) there's a deep thinker in the room full of air. Now, be bold. Is there anybody in the room who would argue intelligently that this is full? Full of water. Just to be... Anybody? Okay. Now, those of you who are optimists have grounds for an argument because this is... More than half something. It's, it's, if I was exactly at half, the pessimist would say, well, it's empty. And the optimist might say, well, it's looking kind of full to me. But is there anybody here who would definitively make the argument that this is, in fact, full? Full. Okay. Now. Now. How, much of us, how many would now begin to say there's an argument that could be made that this is full? I would put myself in the camp of saying this is an argument for fullness. But I will say to you that this is not what Paul's talking about. This is not what the Bible talks about. I'll, I'll, I'll show you in a minute, but when Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5, the actual word that he used, in five, if you back up to that last verse about be filled with the Holy Spirit, you know... Verbs matter. It's always about the verbs. If you study the Word of God and you study it in the original, if you can, the, the verbs always matter. And it's, it's always, you know, we, we sometimes, you can tell by context, you know, even when we speak in English, things that you can't necessarily tell otherwise. So if I were to say, if I were to say, uh, Rick went to the bathroom. Well, no let's just, let's, to be very really clear, <laughs> Rick went to the men's room and went to the bathroom. You would have an understanding of action, right? Rick, Rick moved from here. To, but there's several ways in which that verb could be expressed. If Rick is passive in this, and maybe his legs went limp, maybe he, Rick was carried to the bathroom, right? And so we could still say Rick went to the men's room to go to the bathroom, but you know, he was a passive participant in it. Or Rick could get up and run to the bathroom because there's a real need, and we would say, well, Rick had to get up quickly, and he went to the men's room to go to the bathroom. You see how that's the same verb, but your context would make it different? Well, what Paul says there isn't really just be filled with the Holy Spirit. What Paul says, if we were to translate this one verb honestly into English the way that he means it, it would be this, be being filled. Be being filled. In other words, what he's essentially saying is you must constantly and perpetually put yourself before the Spirit of God in a way that all that heaven has to offer is being dumped into you all the time, always. Always. And I'm going to tell you why. If I if I usually when I teach this, I bring up a cup with a bunch of holes in it. And the first thing I do is I begin to pour it into the point of like the top and you begin to see it all leak out. Why? Because we're earthen vessels. We leak. If you don't do anything wrong and you just live your life, you're going to leak. And so we have to be being filled. The second part though is that this doesn't count as fullness in the kingdom of God. It's better than being empty, completely empty. For sure. But I believe this is how many of us live our lives in the, spirit, in, in, in the kingdom. That we go, well, you know, I had this encounter with God in 19 fill-in-the-blank where I went to an altar and I repented and laid my life down I was full. And then we kind of begin to live our lives. Things happen. You know, doubts and traumatic things happen. And, or we begin, you know, you, that, my, my friend down the street needs to know something about Jesus. And so I poured myself out on, on my friend's behalf. And what happens to us over time? We, we 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 lose the sense of fullness. And I can tell you what happens over and over and over again for anyone who endeavors to be in ministry, particularly those who are like professional ministers, is we lose sight of the need to be filled and we empty ourselves on people until we get to hear again. And when we get to hear again, you know what we call this? Burnout. We call it a place of moral compromise. When you get to this point and you're even endeavoring to do good things for God, anything's possible. You pull the, tw- the plumb line a little bit and I'm telling you, I've seen things happen with godly people that you would never imagine could happen and I believe that the, the, the problem that existed was that they got empty and didn't get filled. And so what Paul talks about is something that looks more like this. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen but be being filled with the Spirit. This is what ministry, this is what life in the Spirit looks like. See, make sure you can see this. Now, yeah, you I'll go ahead and clap. I mean, that's Jeff the, Jeff the Magnificent. Now, if I wanted to be a really cool youth pastor, I would have come up here with some 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 dirt in here, and I would have shown you, that, you know, and I'd had some bleach. And I there's a cool way to kind of illustrate all this. The point is is that you need a constant pouring out of the Spirit in order to remain engaged in the life of the Spirit. If you're not living this way, you're you're getting empty. This is like this is like a red in Shawshank Redemption. You better get busy living or get busy dying. If you're not being filled, if you're not under the constant outpouring flow of God's power of God's Spirit, you're getting empty. There's no in-between. In-between is lukewarm. And when, as Francis Chan said, lukewarm isn't a believer. We can't believe the fact that other people, we can't look at the people with the, like there's another category, like, man, look at Brian. Look, he's on fire for God. Man, that's great. He's a worship leader, so he should be. But I'm just a normal Christian, just living my life, just going to work every day and paying the bills, and so it's okay for me to be here. It's good for me. Now, there's no category where this is good. There's only one category filled to the point of overflowing. That's what you have to hunger and long for. Okay? Are you with me? All right. All kinds of things I could do off of that. Flip over and out of Acts chapter 6. And I want to look at the life of one of my favorite characters in the in the life of the church. I want to give you a sketch of this guy, Stephen. He's a man full of God, full of the Spirit. Uh, And my argument to you is is that we have to be like Stephen. This is is my bias, is that we have to be like Stephen. Uh, Think of it this way. It's not by might or not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The Lord says it's by his spirit. And Stephen, I think, grabbed hold of this idea in a way that marked and changed his life immeasurably. If you know the story of Stephen, and we'll read through it in just a second. Well, actually, let's look at it now. These are just a couple of verses. So, a dispute arose, and just to kind of summarize the dispute, there were Greek-speaking Jewish widows and Hebrew-speaking Jewish widows, and a dispute arose about how the food was being distributed, and they realized that apostles, that there needed to be, you know, governance over this, and so they appointed some people, some men, to be what we would call now deacons. They essentially were to make sure things were done fairly, and so Stephen, it says, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. We're going to choose some guys, and so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and then they chose others as well. Okay, and so just just let your eyes just kind of capture that part where it says, Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, in verse 8, it goes on to say, tell us a little bit more about Stephen. It says, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So can you see the four things that Stephen's full of? Faith, the Holy Spirit, grace, and power. That's a full man right there. And, you know, Stephen was appointed by the apostles to wait on tables, right? So you would expect the next thing you'd read about Stephen is that he's, you know, so, th- so then it came to pass that Stephen would then oftentimes go to table seven and check in with them and see how they're doing and make sure that the Greek-speaking Jewish widows were getting their distribution of the food and telling them, my pleasure, when they say thank you. And he's doing a very good job of all this. But you don't find Stephen ever waiting tables. What do you find Stephen doing when you begin to look into this short little sketch of the life of Stephen preaching, out on the streets, stirring up trouble. In fact, Luke, who writes both the book of Luke and Acts, writes about, I, I, I can give it to you if you want to see it, maybe 25 direct linguistic parallels between Jesus at the end of his life and Stephen at the end of his life. You, 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 it's so startling that it blows you away about how much Stephen is becoming like Christ at the end of his life. So he's not, we don't see him waiting on tables. Luke says... Let me just show you what really matters about the life of Stephen. And he gets into this life about a man who's completely full. I ran into this, uh, this, this writing that was found anonymously. It was written anonymously on the walls of a medieval castle. And here were the words that were written. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and, and walk me not. And you call me life and desire me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. When I read that, I thought, man, that has a condemnation has to do with, with punishment. And I felt, man, that's so so heavy. And I was reading as I was reading through this, I was reading the, you know through this account of Stephen, and what I really heard immediately, in my spirit was this could not be said of a person full of God, of a person like Stephen. This this saying in this medieval castle could never be, be said of a guy like Stephen or like us as we find the fullness of God. Luke tells us that Stephen is has these four qualities that he's full of faith, the Holy Spirit, grace, and power. And the Greek word for full that he uses here is is—it's a powerful word, and it implies there's a ton of implications to it. The, the first way in which it's used is used of a hollow vessel like this, right? A vessel that has a hollowed out place that could be, could be filled. And so fullness has to do with this hollow vessel being made full. That's the sense in which I just illustrated this to you. But it's not the only way that it's used. It's also used to describe the appearance uh, of something that, that, or something that, that, that is fully covered. And so imagine not a hollow vessel but a solid object that has been completely covered by something. Maybe if you're getting hungry, think of like a chocolate-covered strawberry where it's dunked all the way down under the, you know, and you go, wow, it's completely. Or if you want a more spiritual, for, for those of us who come from more spiritual backgrounds, think about a person being immersed in the waters of baptism. This is the idea of, of, of fullness, of being something being... Or, or it's actually used to speak metaphorically or spiritually of a soul being saturated. My imagery for this is imagine a sponge that's completely dry that goes under the waters and gets completely soaked. It's both... The hollow places are full and it's completely covered. I think that's the idea of a saturated soul. And it's also spoken of a person, this word, this Greek word is spoken of a person who lacks nothing. Do you see the fullness of this word in which you know, Luke is using to describe Stephen, the hollow vessel that's been filled? He's been completely covered by the power of the Spirit. His soul saturated like a sponge that can't hold anymore, and he lacks nothing. And Jesus leaves and tells us as he's leaving that, look, it's good for me to leave because I send my Holy Spirit who's going to provide for you all that you need, lead you into all truth and saturate you completely with this life in God. And he says to us, you know, I'm giving you everything that you need and and, that you'll be made perfect, that you'll lack nothing. This is the life in God that we're called to, a life where we are fully mature, receiving all that he has, lacking nothing. This is what it means to be full in God. The message translation of the Bible in the same exact uh, passage in Acts chapter 6 says that Stephen was brimming. I like that word brimming. It reminds me of an old commercial when I was a kid, an old coffee commercial. It said, fill it to the rim with brim. Anybody remember? Fill it to the rim with brim. So this is the picture I have of Stephen, that he's, he's full to the point of overflowing with faith and with the Holy Spirit, with grace and power, and he's so full that he's ready Ready right in the moment to overflow into the people's lives that are around him. He can't just wait on tables. He can't hold it in. He's like the saints of old. He's like Jeremiah, who says, I, I, I have this fire in my belly that I can't hold in. I'm weary of holding it in. In fact, I can't. This is, this is the place where Stephen's at. Yeah, Stephen is Paul, who becomes like Stephen later in his life, where he, and we'll, you know, we'll actually see that in just a minute. Stephen's cup was so at that point of overflow that he's living this abundant life, and I believe if God had given Stephen even anything else, that he would have just burst. He's so full of, of, of this vibrant life in God that he was ready just to explode, you know, under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so my question for you right here, right now, in the middle is this. If we were to ask people what we are full of, what would they say? Oh, probably not that. But the sad commentary on most of us as Christians is that in most cases, I think they would say that we're full of ourselves, that there's way too much us in us. That when, the, when, the, when John the Baptist prays, and I got a decrease that Jesus might increase, that's such a powerful prayer. It's about space, isn't it? And I think that if we were to be honest in saying, assessing where we are, the reason we put the X in the middle and not say that we're, we're on fire, is because we recognize there's so much us left, that we are not. We haven't really yielded ourselves to the power and the direction of, the, of, of God through the Holy Spirit. That there's way more us involved in the decision-making and in the daily living, and even in the way that we evaluate the world around us, there's way more logical us in it than there is the, the truth of God and the power of the Spirit. Stephen, though, was full of the Spirit so full that he, like I said, he had to share or burst. And, uh, Acts chapter 6, verses 5 and 8, together, if you look at them together, the reason I put them up there like that is so that you could see both the God word and the, the human word or man word uh, side of, of Christian's character when they're full of God. In verse 5, you see that it, that it says that Stephen's full of faith, which means, what is faith? Let me just give you a simple word that, that I think we can encapsulate better, trust. You don't know mean to trust somebody? Right? I mean, like a trust fall or like, hey, you know, you stay here. I'll go get help and come back. Or somebody says, don't worry. I'll, you know, you can take off. I'll cover that problem. Any, you know, any aspect of trust is what we evidence toward God when we say we have faith in God. What we're saying is, God, I believe you've got it. The stuff I can't see, the stuff I can't handle, the stuff I don't know, the stuff I can't figure out in my own life, I trust you to do something in me I can't do for myself. That's faith. It says that, that Stephen is full of that. So he's pointing himself completely at God, laying his life down and saying, whatever it is you want to do, I trust you. Got it? Okay, it says he's also full of the Spirit, which I've demonstrated to you over here, <clears throat> I think simply means that he's yielded. That he is, imagine, imagine a person that's, that's like, you know, I don't know, what is, the, what is the drunk scale thing, like .08 or whatever? Imagine somebody that, what, what, I, I, I don't know why I'm doing this illustration, what's really bad drunk though? Okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. But imagine that Stephen is so under the influence of the spirit that he's so full of it that you that anybody would look at him and go, "This guy is just completely controlled by the spirit of God." He's yielded that he believes that Jesus is preeminent. Jesus has authority and is king and can do anything he wants in his life. That that's, that, that this is how Stephen is postured towards God. So his posture towards God is full of trust and fully yielded that God can do whatever he wants in his life. Do you see how that's pointed at God? Now, what's the result of it? Verse 8, he's full of grace, which is what? It's a gift. Grace is a gift. It's literally the word gift, you know, in the Greek. And it's a gift that, that demonstrates something that's tied to mercy and justice. It's on this continuum. Justice is what? Getting exactly what you deserve, right? Mercy is what? It's getting, not getting what you deserve, Right? You deserve punishment, but you're not getting it. What's grace? Grace is getting more than you deserve. You know what? You're a lousy waiter, but I gave you a $100 tip. Why? It's grace. I I chose to give you this gift. And Stephen is so full of faith and so full of the Spirit that he actually becomes full of grace where he can give away to the world around him. He can pour himself out on the world around him, even naysayers, in a way that gives them way more than they deserve. And it says he's full of power. The word there is the word we get dynamite from, which I think if you want to break it down in very practical terms, means that he's so full of all this life in God that he can actually make a difference in the world in word and in deed. He's got enough of his stuff taken care of by God that he can actually offer something to the world. How many of you would like to be in a place where you're put together enough by the grace of God, by the power of God, that you actually have something to offer the world of value? This is a man of, full of faith toward God, yielded to the Spirit's control, who now will be gracious toward others and manifest great spiritual power in the world around him. Stephen had so much concern for God and for his fellow people that he had to share the gospel. He had to share the good news. He had to pour himself out, literally pour himself out unto death. He performs miracles because the Spirit's flowing through him. He reasons with those who argue against him because the Spirit, it says, the Spirit of God gave him wisdom that defeated the wisdom of the world. People would say, "Well, you know, but this and this and this, you know, the culture says and you know, this is 2019 and he'd say, "Yeah, but this is this is what this is the wisdom that I've had downloaded from heaven." And people would go, "You know, I can't I can't argue with that." And today it's the same. That you know, when we when we become full in this life in God, full of his word, we can we can reason, we can when we become clear at the center of who we are in God's economy, we're able to relate to people of all different walks of life because we have nothing to fear and nothing to protect. We're yielded and we're given over to God and we can give them more than they deserve, more than anybody deserves. Because why? We've been given more than we deserve. Well, let me break it down for you and then I'm going to kind of get to the ministry part. When we live by the Spirit, if, how many of you... This is a dangerous question, but I'm going to ask you to be bold and responding. How many of you would like to be have a life like Stephen that's full of God? How many of you wouldn't? <laughs> See, I mean, I get the boldness of raising your hand, but it would take a, it would really take massive boldness to say I don't want that. But here's the truth: when we live by the Spirit like Stephen did, there will be Opposition when 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 they can't reason against you because the spirit of God is so powerful that your that your wisdom um, you, you know people can't stand up against the wisdom. What they'll do is they'll either ignore you or attack you. They'll call you names or make up lies. And so this is exactly how Stephen begins to get treated like Jesus, as they begin to say things back to him um, that that and and and. One of two things happens. Either our fullness in God means that our character will stand the test, and then it'll be by our character that we'll stand and answer critics, or it'll be by our lives and by our faith that, you know, that we'll stand when the test comes. Stephen stood because he was full of the Spirit. And the question, again, I ask you is, what or who fills us right now? The accusations against Stephen, as I said, were the same they were brought against Jesus. And what about us? Do people bring the same charges against your life that they brought against Jesus? <laughs> I'm not trying to be deep, but just think about it. If people came to, your, came to you and said, you know, um, you, know you, you, you seem to have a, a pretty high view of yourself in terms of God, what God's power is like in your life. Uh, you know, people began to attack you on the basis of your Christ-likeness. With, with, you know, I guess the old adage is, if there was a case brought against you of being a Christian, would, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or... Sometimes the character challenges that come our way are true because we aren't where we're supposed to be. And if they are true, the best we can do is acknowledge, be open, honest, and vulnerable, repent, and move on. If they're false, we can fight them with character. And Stephen answers the critics by addressing the crowd of naysayers, and he starts by pointing out to these naysayers that they actually have a lot in common. He says, we're all Jews. We're all children of Abraham. And he points out, he starts by by pointing out, you know, hey, we have all this in common. And he ends by pointing out how much they don't have in common and where they need to be. And for us, it's the same. We have to know where people are in order to be able to lead them to where the Lord wants them to be. In other words, we have to be involved in it, with them. We have to be willing to engage in, in, these, in these lives, and these conversations. And sometimes it's more difficult than you can imagine because people don't always know where they are. The, the, the crowd that is, that is addressing Stephen that's gathering around him doesn't have a, they don't say, you know, you're right. They have no awareness of where they are. And this is kind of where I want to, you know, aim it in order to kind of bring it in for a landing and, and then do some ministry. The conversation heats up and it says um, in verse 15, I don't have this up there, but if you have your Bible open, you can, you can see it quickly or you can flip to it on your screen. Or you can look it up later. Just in verse 15 of Acts chapter 6, it talks about this gathering of Sanhedrin, the council, the the religious elite. And it says, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face shone, shined, like the face of an angel. Ironically, the term angel actually means messenger. And and it was the spirit within Stephen that was shining through because he was so filled, so full of God, so brimming to the point of overflow that the change in his life was evident. It was evident for those to see around him. People who had opposition to what he was doing said that his face shone like an angel. (laughs) So again, let's bring it home because this is what the Lord's been doing to me all week. What does our face reveal about us? Stephen told them what they already knew, that they were reminded, he reminded them of their history, the point of the sermon wasn't their history, but that they were repeating history over and over again by rejecting the teaching of Jesus and the apostles and believers. He says, you stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you've betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but you haven't obeyed it. This is not the kind of language that endears you to your friends. And people, I can assure you, after a lot of years of ministry, people don't always need to be or always want to be reminded of uh, that they're sinners. Mo- most, of, most already know. Most of us already know that. However, it really wasn't their outward, it wasn't immorality that they were being accused of by Stephen but it was inward righteous, self-righteous behavior that they refused to yield to the spirit, to the spirit, to the spirit. And self-righteousness, the, 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 the Bible tells us that our self-righteous, the things that we do, basically the Bible says that self-righteousness is a really insidious sin because it's so hard to see in yourself. And it says that when we bring our self-righteous acts, like the, the attitudes and the acts that we go, man, this actually makes me good before God. And some of you, let me just say it, some of you relate to God on the basis of self-righteousness. I'll do this good thing for you, God, and then you'll owe me this thing over here. That's called works righteousness. You'll never be able to earn your way into heaven. You know, because your sin separates you from God. And so part of your sin is this belief that you can, that you can buy God through, through righteous acts. And the Bible tells us that all of our self-righteousness gathered up together is just filthy rags. And so that's all that Stephen is pointing out to them. He's like, look, guys, I know that you have a lot of self-righteousness, but honestly, before the heart of God, your self-righteousness amounts to, to filthy rags. And you need to be confronted. So look, listen, brothers and sisters, we can't fool God. We can't play the game with him. And this is Stephen's message. We can't fool God. Our self-righteousness is nothing to him. Even if we kill the messenger, others will follow. Do you know how true that statement is I just said? Do you know who stood there at the execution of Stephen as he looked up into heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God? Paul. Paul. And so maybe you're in a position today where you hear this word and this word doesn't really stick. It's like, you know, it's hard to hear. But I'm, I'm believing, I've been praying this all week, I'm believing that there are souls amongst us. There are souls amongst us who today might hear a word that's calling you to a place of deeper life, a deeper life in God that probably begins in repentance. And you go, ah, but that maybe today is the planting of a seed. It's my belief, my deep belief that God calls us to scatter seed liberally everywhere and to look for evidence of good soil. And my belief is that many of you are good soil, and the word is planted in you even today, and it's going to bear fruit. Prophetically, I believe that the the word of God is going to go deep in your heart, and it's going to grow up and bear fruit in Jesus' name. But you might not be ready today to receive it, but maybe you are. We can't fight. We can't win a fight with God. We, We have to come to him on his terms. And Stephen's life ends with this view of an open heaven and he sees the glory of God, and he sees Jesus standing, giving him a standing ovation for this life lived. And so, again, I ask you, you know, this this short little vignette of this guy named Stephen, we don't know anything else about his life, we get enough in this right now to know, this guy, Luke tells us, he's almost, he's become so Christ-like that Jesus is compelled to stand. The only time ever in the Bible that Jesus is pictured standing is here, standing at the right hand of God, saying, look at this man. And so I ask you again, What are we full of today? What fills our heart and our mind and our souls and our spirit, our empty vessels? What are we covered by? How are our souls saturated, like to the point of being a sponge? Is the Holy Spirit evident in our lives? Yeah, come on up, Brian. And so what I'm going to be calling you to today is simple. It's not formulaic. It's not dogmatic. It's essentially saying, Jesus, you are the lion of the tribe of Judah. We open the cage door and we set you free. You can do whatever you want. But what I'm calling you to do is to come and empty yourselves before him and let him fill you with his spirit. Let him fill you. Trust him. Trust him by faith like Stephen did and let him fill you with his spirit that you might be filled with grace and power for life that you might be able to give away you know more than people deserve that you might be able to to live in a way where you can demonstrate in word and deed the power of God in the life of people my prayer is if we do it in the end we'd see Jesus that we would our face would reflect the brightness of the glory of God are you burning or are you just lukewarm so here's I want to call you I'm actually going to ask I didn't tell anybody this, but if you're an elder in this church, if you're on our elder board or leadership, would you come up here and stand at the front? I want you just to stand and face. And then I want to ask some other moms and dads, like Rick and Meredith, would you, Rob, would you come up and and stand and face? Byron, would you come up and stand? Just stand on the ground, Jason, so people. Carol, would you come up and stand up here? These aren't all the people that are, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, not bringing people before you to say that, you know, all you have to do in life is be like Byron, but it wouldn't be bad. What I am saying is that I know these people to be people who, who desire the fullness of God in their lives and live into it. And so what I'm asking them to do is to stand up here and I'm asking you, if, if you just stand with me now, if you're able. I'm asking you to come forward under a very simple premise that God desires to give you the very thing you ask for. And if what you want is more of Him than His desire is to give you what you ask for. And so I'm asking you guys, you leaders that are here, to just do something very simple. People come forward. I just want you to do one of three things. If you, if you have a prayer language, just pray in the Spirit. No words. You can just pray in the Spirit. Or... You can just pray this word, more. (laughs) Just put your hand on people and say more. Or just simply pray that God would fill. If you come forward and you want more, here's my admonition to you. If you come forward, start by confessing the parts of your life that you know are out of alignment with God. Nobody here is going to do anything with it. They're going to bring it to the feet of God, Jesus with you and dump it there and then ask him to fill the void. It's real simple. You can come now. You don't have to wait for me to finish. Be be bold. Somebody be the first one to step out and say, if you got it, Lord, I want it. And and these guys, just come to one of them. They're not going to... Look, don't complicate it, guys. Just simply pray and ask God to do what we've just talked about. Say more or fill them. Pray in the Spirit, however the Lord leads you. Jesus, would you release your Spirit on us now that the fullness of who you are and what you desire to do would come in response to those who come in hunger for you. In Jesus' name, come as you feel led.